how to take a Bible and to open it to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, and we'll be in chapter 19 today. And we'll read uh, Revelation 19 in its entirety. Uh, I felt a little bit uh, last evening what many uh, followers of Jesus, I think, have encountered as they've anticipated the return of our great king, which for many has been realizing that it might be a little bit longer than they thought it was going to be, and they're not sure if they're going to get to take in the whole thing. Uh, we, uh, it was just beautiful weather last night, and we hadn't gone to an Akron Rubber Ducks game yet as a family this year, and there wasn't a season last year because of COVID, so we said, let's, let's go tonight. It's just good weather, but our kids can't endure a whole baseball game. They're still young enough now that that's a bit of a stretch to get them all the way to the end so that they can enjoy it. So we planned it, and we said, let's go late. Um, and so the game starts at 7.05. Let's try to show up sometime after 8 o'clock, and maybe we get there in the fifth inning, and it's just not as long, and then they still get the fireworks show afterwards. So we got there around 8.15 or 8.20 last night, and it was the second inning. <laughs> and we were like, oh, no. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe this will pick up the pace. And they were already uh, losing 4-0, to zero. And then around 10 o'clock, we said, okay, this game is still not close to ending, but our kids are kind of used to a later uh, bedtime, so we weren't at the critical point yet. So let's just see if we can push through. And uh, everybody had gotten hot dogs, and I think we did Twizzlers in the seventh inning, and I was like, I think if I just get a little ice cream, like that'll be what we need to get to the end. We got to 11 o'clock, and there was still an inning and a half left in the game. So now it's, you know, that decision of, did we wait this long that we would leave and they wouldn't see the fireworks? But yes, like they're going to fall asleep now before the fireworks take place. And just Amy and I will watch the fireworks and we're not as interested. So I think it's probably better that we just go. So we watched three hours of baseball. It was really good baseball. We actually came back and, and won. We were winning 11 to four when we left. But part of what made it so slow is they walked to the bases loaded and then they walked two runs in after that, and it, just the slowest possible way of scoring. So it was fun to see our team win, but it was, we are getting nowhere fast. And so they were disappointed. They didn't get to see the fireworks uh, at the very end. Uh, but that experience was, we knew we were late to it. We thought that would still be enough, but baseball has this unpredictability that it can just go longer than you would anticipate. And if you read any that you would look up to in church history uh, and admire for their thoughtfulness and their engagement in their day with scripture and with the world around them, you'll encounter regularly, all of us as believers have this sense of anticipation and we look forward to the coming of our king. But many times, you'll, anybody that is no longer with us has come to that realization before that the fireworks might not go off before they go home. And we don't know if that's true of us either. We long for this. We pray for this. When we're going to read in Revelation tells us we should be more excited about it than uh, I'll admit many times I am. And we don't know for sure if we'll get to see it or not in the exact time frame that we would desire or not. But even in the delay, there's so much to look forward to. So this is Revelation 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. 
For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with his, her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And then one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and that name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come and gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of the kings and the captains, the mighty men and the horses and their riders, all of them both free and slave, both small and great. For I saw that the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence has done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And that concludes our reading. Uh, there's this repeated, exuberant, praise in this chapter. In verse 1, there is a great multitude of heaven crying out. And then in verse 6, it becomes the voice of a great multitude like many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. There is exaltation. There is rejoicing. There's a sense of triumph in this chapter, which uh, for many of us as we're reading through Revelation, we're trying so hard to figure out what it's saying. We don't come to the same uh, conclusion all the time uh, when we're, uh, maybe even when we get to this same point. Uh, Amy was watching, I think, 
uh, a, one of the sports recently. She thought the kids would enjoy soccer on TV, and it wasn't really entertaining them. And she's like, I, I switched it to the Spanish channel, and then they found it way more interesting uh, to watch and listen to. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that probably was helpful. Uh, last week, as Mark talked about the reality of Judgment Day and what that will mean for all those who refuse to follow the king, what Judgment Day will mean for all those who've taken the mark of the beast, it is a sobering and a serious reality that Christ will bring an end to evil in this world. And all of us are supposed to take that seriously. And we're still considering what Judgment Day means today, but we're looking at it from the other perspective. What does Judgment Day mean, not for those who have rejected the king and who have taken the mark of the beast, but what will Judgment Day mean for those who have followed the king, who maybe even in refusal to take the mark of the beast have suffered because of that, even suffering to the point of martyrdom? What will that day be? And Revelation 19 brings us into this exaltation this sense of joy and triumph. And if you've read through it as we've been skipping ahead in it, part of what John has done for all of us who are willing to listen is to show us just how ugly sin is. And so as he describes uh, a woman riding on a beast with seven heads and ten horns, he is helping all of us to see that sin really is ugly. And any of us who say yes to it and who participate in it say yes to uh, things that should actually cause us to grieve. That the one who persuades so many people to follow after her in the great city and accumulates power is doing all of it, it says in previous chapters, to eventually bring all of those forces together of the world's economy, the world's governments and systems to go to war against the Lamb. And so many people will go along with it because it doesn't look like a beast with seven heads and ten horns. It looks like something good and positive, something safe, a way to get ahead in the world, a way to participate in the global system that will exist. And so, so many people will say yes to it because there will be a deception about it. There's other verses in the New Testament that say uh, that Satan often appears as an angel of light. And so he is often effective at gathering followers for him, not because he shows up in the middle of the night, screams and scares people to say, look at how bad and terrible I am, but the opposite, because so many times he comes well-dressed, talking in a nice voice, persuading people to give themselves to him. And just on the appearance of it, so many people would otherwise be deceived. And so part of what John is doing is taking the mask off and saying, don't be deceived by that. Even if they look well-dressed and they're talking in a nice voice and it feels like this is going to be the way to get ahead in the world and this is going to be how you prosper, uh, don't fall for that trap. Because behind all of those niceties is actually a wickedness to the core that is oppressive, that will trod down on other people. And so when that wicked one and all who follow and rage war against the lamb are brought into judgment, where in verse 16 it says, they'll all be gathered together at Armageddon to make this war. 
it says that there will be an earthquake like has never been. And then we had a few chapters preceding 19 of this celebration of this earthquake is so definitive in now revealing how broken the, the systems of the beast were and how so quickly they could be brought down by our God that there is this rejoicing. And it, it brings in a very vivid way the rhetorical question that Jesus asked uh, while he was on this earth when he said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? That truth is brought out all throughout the book of Revelation. What real profit will there be to deny Christ, to follow after wickedness and gain, even for a period of time, a sense of power and authority, ease and comfort, but to gain that all at the expense of our soul. And the powerful answer is, it will gain nothing. Because everything that is gained by denying Christ will be brought to an end in a moment upon the judgment day. Everything that is gained by denying Christ will be brought to nothing. And the good news of that for those who have suffered under the oppression and injustice is that judgment day means the end of oppression and injustice. Judgment day is not just a timer that's set out there and we're all waiting until the clock goes down to zero. We don't believe that the world will just stop one day. We believe that there is a story that will come to an end. It's a purposeful story, but there will be an end to all oppression and injustice. We sing about this when we celebrate the first coming of our Savior at Christmas time. This is the third verse of the song, O Holy Night. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease and sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name Christ is the Lord oh praise his name forever that's what we long for that we believe in judgment day in Christ's name all oppression will cease and so part of entering into the joy that is being sung in Revelation 19 is to take serious stock of the reality of that oppression. And so it's to imagine what Liberation Day would have meant for Jews that were in concentration camps by an oppressive system when finally somebody came and said, that system is no more. You cannot now be forced to stay here and be oppressed like you are oppressed. What kind of joy is experienced when the injustice in the oppression ceases and you're free? Uh, I shared before, but one of the last movies I was able to go before COVID shut down movie theaters uh, was to see a film called Free Burma Rangers which is a documentary produced by Lifeway. I commend it to you. It's, it's really serious uh, and graphic, so it's not appropriate for 
many people with weak stomachs or young kids. Um, but part of what this movie shows is the work of an individual to help in what is the longest civil war going on in the world today in Burma. And I was interested to see it, but uh, as we entered into the movie theater, I saw that there were a number of people that didn't uh, necessarily look like uh, what might be presented as a typical uh, American cowboy. Uh, they had a different skin color, and I didn't know if they spoke English really well. And we sat down to watch the movie. There wasn't much time to think about it. We got there like right before it started. But all of a sudden, we're watching the film, and as the movie is showing the real video footage of people from this country speaking Burmese, the people sitting behind us are responding before the translation came up on the screen. And so then very quickly we realized we are now watching this documentary about a civil war that's still going on with people who have fled that civil war. Because Akron has become a place of resettlement for a lot of Burmese refugees. It changed the whole mood of how we watched the rest of the movie. I mean, it would have been a serious movie anyway, but it was like, oh my goodness. We are in the company of people who have fled this injustice, who have fled this oppression, and we're, we're witnessing a bit of their story. And so one of the reasons not to just skip Revelation as you're reading through and only read the beginning and the end is part of reading it all the way through, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is... John unmasks how evil evil really is and shows us how serious the oppression and the wickedness is so that when we get to the point of hearing that our king has come, that when everybody has been assembled to make war against the lamb and the lamb decisively wins, that we would enter into that relief to say, yes, I long for the day when there will be no oppression, no injustice, no abuse, no lying, no cheating, no stealing. Don't you long for a day like that? That's what we believe our Savior brings about in the judgment day, that when he comes, it brings an end. And so that's why there's this cry, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and right. And it says, and he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He comes to bring an end to the oppression and the judgment. And then after that, the, the chorus only builds when now it says that everyone who has followed after him is invited to the marriage of the lamb and his bride. And so as he, through judgment, brings an end to oppression and judgment, he then says for all those who have repented, because uh, part of, as Mark was sharing uh, last week, when we think about the end, we don't think of Christ coming and saying, who are all the bad people and who are all the good people and punish all the bad and reward all the good, but we recognize in our own sinfulness that we have been a part of that reality in ways. We have contributed to injustice and abuse, that we ourselves have benefited from things that we should not have. And so those who come to the marriage supper are not those who are without sin, those who have never made a mistake, but it is those who in their hearts have come to see evil for really what it is to say, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And I want to be forgiven for all the ways I've been a part of that. And so I, I want to be redeemed. 
I don't want to go that way anymore. I don't want to follow that system anymore. I don't want the mark of the beast. I want to follow the lamb. And so when they celebrate, it's not just the celebration of vindication from oppression and injustice, but this also becomes then the added volume of those who know that they've been forgiven. That this judgment day can be celebrated by them and they can come to a feast that's described like a wedding feast because the judgment for their sin has actually already happened in the past. If you're a follower of Jesus and choose the way of the king, the judgment day of your sin happened when he was on the cross. That was the earthquake that cracked the temple curtain and made a way for you and me to be safe with him forever. And when you know that that is in the rear view mirror and not ahead of you, yeah, John's saying the volume goes up a little bit. The sense of victory and triumph that we sing when he comes back Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Then it says, it is granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And so we can come as forgiven people and also completely cleansed. And so not only do I long for the day when oppression and injustice will not be in the world, but I look forward to judgment day because then that is the day when sin will no longer be in me. I can't wait till I don't lie anymore. (laughs) I'm not tempted to steal anymore. I'm not tempted to be careless towards somebody else so that I can get ahead in something. Is he really going to come and bring me in and make me clean. Wow. All who follow him will get to experience the joy of Zacchaeus when Christ comes and he's going to say to you, hey, chief of sinners, come down because I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to eat with you. And Zacchaeus like, oh my goodness. (laughs) You are? You are going to come and feast with me? In my house? And so then his response is, who can I pay back and how much can I pay back? I mean, if you're really going to do that and you're going to set me free from the inside out, I mean, how, how can I love people? How can I give to people? How can I share? Because that is amazing news that that marriage feast will come and that we will celebrate that that everything he has promised will come true. When we read in Matthew, when Jesus talks about the blessings in the Sermon on the Mount, most of them, if you read them, were like, you know, that doesn't just make immediate sense. They sound more in the future. You know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, because one day something will take place. So even though you might suffer now, there's blessing in the future. When this takes place, the marriage of the lamb and his bride. It says, the blessing is now. (laughs) Blessed are all those who come to this occasion. No longer out in the distance and in the future, but it's right now. Partake, enjoy. The blessing 
is here and we get to celebrate and exalt and praise and then the last part of it goes on to describe not only him as welcoming us to the table but as the inauguration of the reign of the king of kings and then I saw heaven open and the one sitting on it called faithful and true in righteousness he judges and makes war and he comes to bring to fulfillment through his judgment and pouring out of wrath against sin his full and final reign so that when all the systems of oppression in our day feel like they're powerful and they think they're the king of kings and the lord of lords when the real king shows up he rules over them all and he begins that reign which we get to look at next week and thereafter what does it mean when he brings about this reign as the king of kings and lord of lords everything that it means is something that we're supposed to look forward to and be excited about when there will be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more suffering what will there be for us to enjoy and celebrate and we get hints of that as revelation continues for all of us to celebrate and some of what John does is borrow from the language of before in the Old Testament as the children of Israel were set free from the oppression of Egypt and all the injustices they experienced. And they had this sense that they were coming to a promised land. And it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They wouldn't know fully what that would mean, but this sense was that their good God was bringing them to a good place for them to live in goodness forever. Uh, it makes me laugh. Uh, one of the hardest things to get our kids to do willingly with a sense of joy is to wash their hands. I don't know if you as parents struggle with that, but uh, just the basic concept of like, you should wash your hands is like really hard to get. So we have to think of all of these coercive ways to say you really should do it, but you really would make their day at any point in time if they ask you, do I have to? And you said, no, you don't have to. And they're like, oh, I can skip washing hands. There's just this joy that my three kids usually get when that comes. The only place they don't do that is here because there's a soap with a fragrance in the men's bathroom that is something milk and honey, and they just love it. And so it's the only time they, like, run to wash their hands. They don't ask for any exceptions, but they just want this fragrance. And then when I saw what it was named, I was like, oh, that, that is hilarious. We need to buy this and have it at home. We would have so many less arguments if this was what we had at home for them to have on a regular basis. Uh, but you can feel the shift in our lives when, okay, we think we're supposed to do this, but we really don't want to to when we're living with a sense of anticipation and hope that something we really want is there and it's ours. And I think it's a challenge for me to consider whether people around me would look at my life and say, is he living with a sense of expectation and hope that judgment day is the glorious end of all oppression and injustice and when every promise his Savior made becomes yes and amen forever. It should make a huge difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our ability to hear in the future 
what is our glorious hope, our triumphant expectation, not of our victory and our (laughs) vindication, but of your victory over this world, of your ability to make things that are wrong right, your ability to set free those who are oppressed, your ability to bring justice to all of the systems of wickedness in this world and that your judgments are true and right and that you have promised us forever the gift of life with you of experiencing the glory and the beauty of a kingdom without stain or spot where we are made whole and right no longer ourselves struggling with sin but free to worship you with integrity. God, would you just grow our sense of expectation and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing the closing song.